Kira, good morning. Well, it's, I must confess that I wake up sometimes on uh, mornings like this and think, well, it'd be nice just to have an extra half hour sleeping in and then light the fire and cosy up and everything and um, like most of our neighbours do. But then you get here and think, isn't it good to come and be amongst the, our brothers and sisters in Christ and just bring the Lord his due, his worship, be able to worship together and stand together and pray for one another. It's a wonderful thing, a great blessing and a great privilege. So I certainly never regret it and um, just so thankful for God for the freedom we have in this country to be able to do this. Amen? Amen. Well, we are going to move into the book of James proper. We did an intro uh, last week. If those of you uh, were not here, uh, you can catch that on the web. And so now we're going to move into the, I've, I've broken chapter one, so the next three sessions this morning and the following two Sundays, uh, we're going to get into chapter one. I've broken it into the headings that James is using. So the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is trials, uh, trials and tribulations. And I want the, I made this point last week, but uh, only James does this so clearly. I want to make the point that trials and tribulations are very different than temptations. And James covers both. So this week we're doing trials and tribulations. And if you think, well, what a horrible negative subject, we're going to finish this week by taking it to where James takes it, which is into the crown of life. And you won't find that depressing at all. And next week we're doing temptation. So I want to say that what I am going to encourage you to apply today to trials and temptations, so sorry, trials and tribulations, you don't apply to temptations. We deal with them differently. So hang in there. So I want to make this point so clear that the principles I'm going to give you today apply to trials and tribulations. I'll give you a whole different set of principles next week to apply for temptations, which um, James makes all very clear. So we're going to go to James chapter 1 and we're going to pick up verses 2 to 4 which make quite an amazing statement um, for those of you that, which hopefully is all of us, enjoy life. It says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Strange statement. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. So James is saying, consider it all joy. Now, I know many of you very well, and we've journeyed for a long time, and I have seen some of the trials and tribulations you've been in, and they have been tough and hard and uh, have dug deep into your lives. And here James is saying, consider that joy. So um, we need to say, what does he really mean? Surely he can't say that we're lining up and saying, bring on more. This isn't hurting enough. This isn't painful enough. I'm not suffering enough yet. Ramp it up a little bit, James, and let this thing go. Now, if you pray like that, God bless you. I'm not going to judge you, but I promise you I don't. I promise you I don't. 
So what is James meaning here? Because he's writing unto the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the Lord is giving James this to say. So the Lord is is endeavoring to say something that we need to hear. So the Greek word for joy, and I'm not a Greek scholar and I don't know how to pronounce it, but the Greek word is chara, it's spelled C-H-A-R-A. And it actually speaks of the benefits of health and happiness which people wish for themselves or their friends. Sometimes we say to people, oh, may God bless you. And we're actually wishing upon them, bringing upon them, praying for them a degree of health and happiness. So in this context, the joy that James is referring to is the knowledge that these situations are going to bring about in our life the opportunity to become more Christ-like if, and the word if is so important, if we handle them the right way, if we handle them redemptively. So what James is doing, he's speaking from the knowledge that the specific purpose of these trials are to make us, not to break us. It's so important because we believe God is sovereign and the scriptures teach that he is sovereign. Nothing is happening to us. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is governing everything that's happening in your life. Every day, he's aware of it, he's monitoring it, and he is ensuring that it only goes to the point where it will produce life in you long term. Now, it may not happen on the day or on the week or on the month, but God's monitoring it to ensure that it will produce life in you if you respond in the right way. Now, Here is one thing everybody can be certain of in life. And by the way, guys, there's not many things any of us can be certain of. You know what the scripture said? We make the plans and God chooses the outcome. And sometimes I think the biggest laugh God has each morning is when we wake up and make our plans for the day because only he knows really what's going to happen. Only God knows that. But here's one thing we can hang our hat on, one thing we can guarantee. Every single person that is born into this life and lives and breathes is going to face trials, tribulations, and difficulties. Whether they know Jesus or whether they don't, whether whatever culture they are, whatever country they live, whatever situation they're born into, every single person on this planet faces trials and tribulations. They're unavoidable. So we can't get away from them. And we start to say, well, what are they? And most people consider that they might be times when we get sick, they might be times when we become financially unstable or we lose our job or we lose a spouse or a family member or have to endure a multitude of other personal hardships. Now, that may be the case, but some people go through a big portion of their life and never face any of these things. Ultimately, we we will the older we get. But many people go through life and don't face these things. But they still face trials and tribulations. So what are they? So the dictionary describes them as simply this, a test of one's patience or endurance. 
So that's it. So instead of thinking, oh, wow, you know, everybody faces trials and tribulations. Am I going to lose an arm or a leg? Am I going to have a bad car accident? Am I going to lose a loved one? Don't go there, guys. This is not what this is about. It's just that any time we get taken out of our comfort zone, any time that we get taken out of our nicely controlled life that I love to have, I like to order and control my life. Believe me, I do. Anytime we get taken out of that and we get placed in a situation that we can't control ourselves, we are in a degree of trial or tribulation. Anytime. For example, I arrived after probably 30, 35, 36 hours of flying to um, an airport in Michigan from a major airport to the next airport, and I arrived there very tired, uh, just looking. Some people were hosting me. I was staying at their house. I love them dearly. They're dear friends. And I arrived there, and they're not there. And these are the days before cell phones and stuff like that, and so I open up my diary and realise I don't have their phone number. So here's an interesting situation. So I think, oh, maybe they're a little bit late. It's about 11 o'clock in the morning. By the time 1 o'clock comes, I think, they're very late. By the time 2 or 3 o'clock comes, I think, I better find a bench somewhere because I think I'm sleeping there. Has something gone wrong? Anyway, I called my wife back home, and she's able to do a whole lot of research. I have to call her again using the payphone in the airport. And I finally get to the point where I get their phone number, ring them up, and they said, oh, man, we thought it was tomorrow. In the meantime, I am so far out of my comfort zone because I'm stranded. I can't get hold of these people. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, It's a very small airport. It actually closes at 12 o'clock at night. Where am I? And all of these things start going through your mind. They're all normal things. And it shows and brings up some great insights into your internal character. Oh, I trust God in all situations. Well, you should have seen me at the airport that day. You know, people get very excited, and rightly so, when they discover that, for a couple, when they discover that the wife is pregnant, they're going to have a baby. And they get all very excited and it's all wonderful. And they say, I can't wait to meet this baby when he or she comes along. It's just going to be amazing. And he or she does. Then suddenly, different things, sleepless nights, you know, all of those other things. The baby's controlling when he or she wakes up, cries, wants to be fed, wants to be changed, all of those things. Suddenly, there are trials in amongst the joy Do they still love being a parent? Of course they do. But do they love it when it's a freezing cold night at 2 a.m.? You get wah, 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 wah. And here's something. I don't have a Bible verse for this. I am absolutely convinced, I really believe this, that God made a baby's cry so annoying that you can't just let it go on, otherwise we'd just roll over. Now, I know you wonderful women wouldn't, but as men roll over in bed and say, oh, he or she will be right till the morning. But there is something about that noise that forces, oh, for goodness sake, I have to deal with this. And up we get and do it. See, the joy of having a new baby is a joy. 
but you bring the baby home and suddenly you're qualified to talk to another side of what it's like to be a mum or a, 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 a dad. My uh, daughter, Marie, is a wonderful mum. She has four children and they're all great kids. Two of them are here with us today. And so she, the babysitter, she gets a babysitter around and the babysitter says, oh, Marie, you're so blessed to have four kids. When I get married and everything, I want to have four kids. And Marie says, oh, yeah, great, come with me. So being my daughter, Marie takes her into the laundry. Well, the washing machine's grinding away. The clothesline's full of clothes. The washing basket's full of clothes, either waiting to be washed or being washed. And then she takes her out into the lounge room and there's a whole pile of laundry that's all been washed, waiting to be folded up and everything. She said, see what you've just seen? And the girl says, yeah. She said, this never stops. 24-7, this is what you've got with four kids. She said, oh. I said, Oh, man, Marie, that was a bit mean. She said, no, Dad, that's called a reality check. <laughs> so, and she's a wonderful mum. She loves her kids. I think you all know what I'm talking about. But see, this is what is important. This beautiful scripture in 2 Corinthians 3.18, which says that we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Listen, guys, here's one of the main power tools God uses to get us there. Trials and tribulations. One of the power tools of being transformed from one degree of glory to another is God allowing trials and tribulations to come upon us to develop us, to empower us, to take us into another level of maturity in him. And some of the things that are reflected that come up out of us at 2 a.m. in the morning when the baby's crying, don't condemn yourself for them. Just say, I've still got some things that God wants me to deal with in my life. Some of you, I know it doesn't happen here, but it does happen in some places. Some of you, when you get angry with your spouse and you start saying, well, she, if he, if you, you know, whatever, sometimes you need to see God has just allowed you to see something within yourself that he wants you to deal with before him. See, if the scriptures tell us, which they do in Hebrews 5.8, that Jesus, although he was a son learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And let me push pause there. Jesus had to go through character training, through difficulties. Now, he never had any failures. He's exemplary. He is amazing. He pulled it all off using nothing more than the resources you and I have available to us and the Holy Spirit, that's all he had. He didn't have any unfair advantages. Philippians said he leaves all those things behind when he comes to earth as a man. Jesus passed every situation, but Jesus' character was developed through the difficulties, the trials, and the tribulations he faced in his journey through life. If God himself, who comes to earth as a man, has to have his character developed through those things, what hope have you and I got of avoiding it? I want to promise you none. 
None. No. Forget it. See, one of the things that we need to do is instead of saying to God, get me out of this thing, we need to say, God, what are you saying to me in this thing? What is it you're wanting to put your hand on in this thing? What are you wanting me to see? And how are you wanting me to deal with it? Because otherwise, and here's a great word for all of you that are discipling other people, and I hope that's most of you in this room. Here's a great word for you. Don't try initially to get the people you love out of difficulty. Your first approach has got to be what is God doing here and then walk alongside of them to get to the place God would have them to get through this trial or this tribulation because if you bail them out, God is going to take them through it all over again to get what he wants from them in the situation. You need to hear that. You really need to hear that. We are doing them a disservice if we bail them out rather than empower them to go through it because we are now part of the reason they're going to go through the whole thing again. And that doesn't help anybody. See, it's like being parents. And telling parents that if they loved their kids, they would never discipline them or upset them. Too much of that happens today, by the way. Instead, we rush to accommodate their every whim. And I have met kids who have been brought up like that, and so have you, and they're not pleasant to be around. They really aren't. In fact, the scriptures say it is better to discipline somebody too much then it is not enough. Now, God's not wanting us to beat up on our kids all day and every day. And that's not what this is about. But see, the whole thing is, in the Western world, we're saying if you're going through difficulties as Christians, you're not exercising your faith properly. And that is a horrible, ugly, condemning statement to make. I sat in the very early days of my Christian life under so much of some of what today has been extended into what we call prosperity teaching. And a great scripture that was quoted was Philippians 4.19, which says, my God will supply all your needs. And I learned after a while it says needs, not wants. That was a big day of revelation. My God will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. It's a very favorite verse with prosperity gospel teaching that everything you want, Jesus the nice guy is going to supply it to you. So I was struggling with all of this one day and then one day I got a blinding flash of the obvious. Did you hear what that is? I like that. A blinding flash of the obvious. Oh my gosh, I was doing some Bible study and thought, Paul wrote this when he was where? In prison. Oh, wow. 
So Paul is saying, look, God supplies, supplies all my needs and he's in prison and he's incarcerated when he's writing this. The prosperity teachers never told us that. They never told me that. And I started looking at that and saying, it cannot mean that I'm going to have flash cars, flash houses, pockets full of money, brilliant health, and on and on and on we could go because Paul is languishing in prison when he wrote it. Do you know what Paul considered a blessing when he was in prison? That he was given manuscripts and pens and a degree of freedom and comfort so he could write instructions to the churches out there that he was burdened for. Do I need to tell you that again? Paul was saying, God provided all my needs so I, even though I was incarcerated, I could still minister to the saints. That's what Paul was saying. That's what he was meaning. That's what he can considered an amazing thing. In 2 Corinthians 7, 6, Paul's again languishing in prison and he says, God brought his blessing to me by what? By sending me a man who was Timothy. Paul was so blessed that he was allowed a visitor who was Timothy. And so he's saying, see what God does? See how God provides me for my needs? Come on, guys, let's get this into context in our Christian walk so that we can respond in the way God calls us to respond and we can grow up in Christ and we can be vessels that bring his glory and walk in the reality of what Jesus intended this Christian journey or way of life to be. The Scriptures teach us that a lack of discipline is way more harmful than too much discipline. Now I'm getting to the better part in a minute. But one of the things is the Western world, which you and I are all a major part of, and especially down here in New Zealand, we are blessed and and hidden from so much that's going on around the world. Who cares about New Zealand? This is an amazing life that we have. And the trouble is it's so easy to be lulled into or sucked into the issues of pleasure and self-fulfillment. And that's not the way we're called to live. I put it in the the notices that those of you get electronically this week. We forget so often that 70% of Christians, as we are sitting here in our comfort today, are either suffering or incarcerated because of their faith. Today, right now, 70% of Christian believers in the world They're also promised joy, just like Paul was. Often while they're languishing in prison, they're promised joy. And it's not the promise that they're going to get out at some stage. It's that right in the middle of these circumstances, God promises them joy. See, we're being forged in the fiery furnace, guys, if we're on our proper walk with God in the way of life. 
And that's why the writer to the Hebrews cautions us to join those who uh, not to join those who shrink back to destruction, meaning they all fall back to their old ways of coping, whether it's alcohol or drugs or entertainment or whatever. And you come to my house, I have a big screen TV and I have all the mod cons and things like that. I'm not knocking that stuff. It's about what place do they play in your life and what happens to you if suddenly they all don't work. See, Jesus told us that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Pruning is a cutting off. You use tools that hurt. See, we're not being punished here. It's a process of being made whole. And we need to get that. He's not a horrible, angry God bent on retribution towards us. Nothing like that at all. He's doing it for our own well-being and our own sake. So how do we respond? How do we, instead of asking God to get us out, call on God to get us through? I want to make a statement that Matthew Henry says. He says, Of the many that are afflicted and oppressed, few get the good that they might get by their affliction. It should drive them to God, but how seldom is this the case? It should drive them to God, but how seldom is this the case? So the correct way to respond we are looking at. So firstly, let me hold up for you what James does in James 1 verse 12, what we're going for here. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, which is what we've been talking about. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life is promised to us, to those who love Jesus. So right here, we now have why James is saying trials and tribulations can be seen as joyful. God will count them for our ultimate well-being. He'll make them work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He will allow them to produce endurance in us, which will make us perfect and complete, lacking in what? Nothing. And then when they have produced what God has intended, whatever it is we go through at the time, he crowns us with the crown of life. So I want to finish this morning by talking about what is the crown of life? Now, the first thing that I want you to understand about the crown of life is it's something for us here, now, today. It's not for the time to come. It's not one of the rewards given out after eternity. Uh, I'm sure we will have it then, but the crown of life James is talking about is a gift to you and me that is available in present-day real-time reality. It's talked about in Revelations chapter 2 and Revelations chapter 3 where Jesus instructs the church because churches get this crown of life as well. He instructs them to hold fast to what they have so they won't lose the crown of life, so they won't have it taken from them. These churches Jesus is talking to already had it. 
It is something God has for individuals and for churches right here, right now, in real time. And Jesus is saying, make sure you don't lose it because he wants to add to it. So let me just say this before we get down into what it is. Everybody in this Christian journey and most of you will be able to identify what I say right now. Everybody in this Christian journey is going to face some time somewhere along the line where you are going to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Nobody is exempt from being in the positions where it seems God has withdrawn. He never does. He never will. His faithfulness and his love is ever enduring to all believers. But he allows us to go through times and experiences in life where we cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this is where it digs in. And I want to make a point before I move into what we get from it. Because I've been there, and I know many of you have. Firstly, we can't, nor should we try to face it alone. We need two absolutely key ingredients to get through these times. Number one is the indwelling life of the Holy Spirit. Number two is our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. You cannot get through these circumstances when they dig in this deep and this hard, number one, without the Holy Spirit who is the comforter, bringing us through even when we're not aware. Number two, you cannot get through it without your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ because when it talks about in Corinthians that the strong will minister to the weak, everybody gets a turn at being the weak person. And in the meantime, everybody's having a season in life where they can be the strong person. And in some of my darkest times in life, I turned as much to the body of Christ as I did to the Lord because they become one and the same. It's important we understand that. I don't have to preach this, but I am staunch about being part of of a community of believers, committed, standing side by side, ministering to one another, walking together, loving on one another, encouraging one another, and being humble enough to receive the blessings from others when you need them. There's no alternative, guys. And I feel for people who don't have the joy of that. I really do. And I certainly, in my Nearly 40 years here have had it over and over again from you all and from others that aren't here today and I am eternally grateful for it. See, so when it's it's though it seems also hard, having done all we can to stand, the blessed person is the one who endures, the one who holds fast to their confession. They keep going and don't give up because their hope is in God and his people. 
Psalm 16, blessed are the saints, the godly ones who you have put me amongst. So the key here is that we go after the crown of life. Now here is the crown of life. Here is what it is. And I hope this doesn't disappoint you, but if it does, take it before the Lord and deal with it. The crown of life is a greater understanding of who Jesus Christ is, what he is doing on this planet, and how that concerns you. There's the crown. There's the crown. The people we should consider most wealthy in the kingdom of God are the people we can go to because they are so Christ-like. They're the people of the greatest wealth. God considers the most wealthy people on the planet are those who know the most about him and understand his ways and what he is doing and who he is and understand how every aspect of life fits in, even when we don't understand it, to the greater picture of God's faithfulness, God's love for his people, God's love for this planet, and he wants to achieve through you. There is the wealth that is the crown of life. That's it. And everything else pales into insignificance, as Paul said, when he said, I consider all things but rubbish compared to what I have been able to lay hold of in Christ. That's the true gift. How do we get it? By prayer, by worship, by fellowship with the saints, by studying God's word and incarnating it into us, by allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and through trials and tribulations. That's how it comes. Sorry about that. Those things will finish when the Lord returns, but not before then. So I'm going to finish with some practical helps for you. Number one, look for Jesus in the midst of your troubles. Ask the question, what are you working on in my life through this, Lord? What are you saying to me here? What are you wanting me to see, to receive or see? How can I build spiritual muscle out of this? I always use the example, if you're going to walk up a high hill and you're going to go to the gym and train for it, don't go and do bench presses and arm exercises. They're good, they're fine, but they're not going to help you up the hill. You need to be working on your legs and your breathing and all that sort of stuff. So it's no point working on this when the Holy Spirit wants us to be working on that. Find out, God, what are you saying here? What do I need? Because I want to get in line with what you're working with me on so I don't have to go through this again. Second point. I love this one. Remember what he has done for you in the past and remain thankful and beholding to him to his faithfulness. Why remember what he has done for us in the past? Because God is the same when? Yesterday, today, and forever. 
What he has done for you in the past, he will do again in the future. Where he has proved faithful to you in the past, he will be proved faithful again to you today and tomorrow. It's great to remind one another when we're down and out and having a bad day, week, month, whatever. Say, we've been through this before and remember how God showed up and you say, oh yes. I shouldn't keep saying this to you. I should do something about it, but I'm going to say it again. One of my biggest regrets is I haven't kept a journal over my life because journals you can go back and say, oh, well, in 2007 we went through this because we forget. So remind one another of God's faithfulness in the past journey. Remember the past. What did God say to Israel when he got them into the promised land? Don't you dare let future generations forget how I have led you out of Egypt through the wilderness into this land. Tell them over and over and over again because in our past and our history is a reflection of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Our history is important. Third point, watch the company you keep. Avoid spending a lot of time with miserable, negative, or constantly complaining people because they will wear you down. Get around people who are pursuing life and are faithful and build you up. I get worn down by negative people. I make, I choose very carefully who I spend a lot of time with because I want people to build me up in my faith because I don't always feel buoyant and on top of things and walking in victory and knowing what's going on. Get the right people around you. People who are pursuing life, they're the people that are building you up, who are going somewhere. Psalm 1 cautions us, Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the paths of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. It is destructive for you to spend lots of time with people like that. And by the way, don't be one yourself. Speak life. We don't have to deny the circumstances we're in. We don't have to say we're on top of it all, but speak life. Speak truth and speak life. Number four, remain in prayer and don't quit your spiritual disciplines. I like Winston Churchill's statement. I love it. If you're going through hell, keep on going. Don't stop. Don't stay there. Don't stand there. See, time and time again, we read the Bible day after day and think, I'm just not getting here. I'm not getting anything out of this. It seems boring to me. I love the scriptures. I read them every day, I promise you. I have plenty of times when I think, what was all that about? I'm not kidding. Keep doing it, guys. Don't quit. If you're going through hell, relatively speaking to this life, because nobody goes through hell and the reality of what hell is. But relatively speaking, if you're going through hell, keep on going. Maintain your spiritual disciplines. I want to say you probably need them more then than any time. Keep praying. Keep worshipping. Even if your heart's not bursting to worship Jesus, do it anyway. He's worthy of it. 
Remain in prayer and don't quit your spiritual disciplines. Last point, and Jesse's talked a lot about this in his last three sessions he did before he left. Maintain the mind of Christ. Don't get into the flesh. It's, this is the time when we're going through trials and tribulations. This is a time to take every thought captive. Don't fall back into previous bad happens looking for comfort. God doesn't love me. He blesses everybody else, but he never blesses me. I'm no good anyway. I'll never be anything. I'll never. Don't go there, guys. They're coming from the pit of hell, and the enemy will feed them and feed them and feed them. So block them off and start making the statements, even if at the time. They're not resonating with you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My God is faithful. I will overcome this in Christ. Make the statements because they are true even when you don't feel like they're true. Don't quit on those statements or the enemy will come in and grind us into the dust. So I want to finish again with where we started on the crown of life. Blessed is a man, this is James 1.12, who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, and ultimately we will, all these things come to an end. They're all finite. They all have a finishing date and time in Christ. For once he has been approved, He will receive the crown of life, present tense, everybody, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So reach out for the crown. If you allow him to, God will get you there and he will make it part of your life today. Father, we want to thank you for your promises. And Lord, we know that we are just simple people. Yet, Father, in Christ, we are more than conquerors. In Christ, we are overcomers. In Christ, we are the people of hope that this earth so desperately needs. So, Father, call us again and again as we go through trials and tribulations. Let that quiet voice of the Holy Spirit become clear in our mind that you are working some wonders in our life, Lord, to make us more mature, to transform us from one degree of glory to another. And Father, we will come out the other side more Christ-like and stand in wonder before you of what you were able to achieve with people, simple people such as us. We ask your blessing upon it, Father, and thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.